Hi, and welcome to Filmmaker's Compass Podcast, a show where we talk about movies and, well, more movies. I'm D-Man, joined by CP. CP, how are you doing today? Awesome, dude. How are you? You know what? Doing pretty good. I, I will say, and I think you are actually in the same boat I am, I do have a cough right now, which I'm detrimental to a podcast. <laughs> Yeah. For our listeners, if you didn't know, Los Angeles has just been pummeled by all sorts of weather for the last, well, SoCal has been pummeled by weather. We actually had blizzard warnings, flood warnings, wind warnings, and uh, we're just a bunch of weak people over here on the West Coast. So that might be the cost of a D-man. I personally enjoyed the rain. I like all four seasons and the weather, obviously coming from Indiana. Go Irish. It was fun. It was it was nice to have, you know, some colder, wet weather out here. But I personally did not experience any snow. Did you, CP? Saw some snow. I None of it landed near me. Or In your me. front yard. Yeah. yeah okay. So. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I can see the snow on the mountaintops off in the distance, but nothing where I was. Although <laughs> I did hear in places in L.A. that are slightly elevated. So such as like Glendale, some of the cities over, you know, a little bit north of Hollywood and stuff. They actually did get snow, which is yeah. crazy here in was... L.A. Snow on palm trees. Yeah. Crazy. So the weather was definitely fun. I think it's supposed to continue for, you know, the early part of uh, this next week here. And then who knows, maybe we'll never get rain again until next January. Mm, that's usually <laughs> the way it goes around here, right? Yeah, you know, you get one big storm and then that's it. According to uh, some of the news channels I saw, this was one of the biggest storms we've had, I think, since the early 90s. Quite impressive. Insane. Glad you uh, survived, made it through. And I guess up next is an earthquake somewhere in there. And if it happens live while we're recording this show, then hot damn. All right, CP, let's go ahead and jump into our uh, shout outs on this week's episode. So first up, we have uh, Brad Banaka, who said, to the bringing others on. Absolutely. But I have to be at the top of that list. LOL. Have you look at what I sent you? So CP, that's something we'll take care of behind the scenes. And Brad, as we've mentioned multiple times, we are looking at bringing people back on. As most of our listeners hopefully know, Brad actually has been on this podcast. It was quite a while ago. How long would you say, CP? It was like one of the first episodes we ever did. Yeah, so let's go ahead yeah. and give a shout out to Brad's episode. And if you would like to, you can actually scroll back through our release dates and you can go find that episode. And we have a great discussion with Brad. And he's actually a Midwest guy as well, which is pretty cool be sure to go check it out one of our, our first episodes so i don't know that our professional quality has risen so so much since then oh yeah but... <laughs> because we have so much professional quality now yeah you're well, right D-Man. We, we are on video now that's something <laughs> back then we were doing audio only podcasts so which was a lot of fun though it was cool because i think with brad particularly even now our listeners can probably tell that we're recording this virtually but at that time we were recording in person which was a lot of fun we had an entire podcast set up ready to go and we did a little bit of a roundtable. Maybe we'll get back to that if we can bring some guests on. Who knows? Next up on our shouts is John Michael Cordes. He said, they are just making something so they can hold on to the IP. Nothing more. It will most likely be garbage. Now, what is this comment in reference to? It's in reference to a post you did, CP, regarding Lord of the Rings. Can you explain? Warner Brothers has decided that they are going back and making more Lord of the Rings content. Then they followed it up immediately saying, well, it might not be actually based on existing Tolkien content. We might just make something new because we can. So, Oh, they're going the Star Wars route, Disney and Star Wars. They're like, hey, we're just going to make something new and hope <sighs> the fans like it. That's what it seems to be like. 
How did that turn out? <laughs> I, I don't know. I haven't seen it yet, D-Man. Yeah, uh, mixed bag. Some of it's cool. Some of it's, you know, been all right. And then there's The Rise of Skywalker. But we won't get into all that. We have other episodes and future episodes to, you know, really dive into what happened there. But you are kind of right. He said something so they can hold on to the IP, nothing more. It will most likely be garbage. Now, I always hold out hope that some filmmakers with passion and, and great filmmaking skills get a hold of the material and might make something amazing so i never like to write it off before that's why i've i've endured all of disney star wars right i love star wars hopefully they get it right now they don't every time but i do agree though that it is possible they're they're just making something to hold on to the ip a lot of these deals that were done in the past you have to produce some sort of content related to that ip every five years ten years something or else the rights revert back to the original owner that may be what's going on here i read the article i didn't see that confirmed but it's very possible that was what, what was speculated really all that came out is that they they're exploring the possibility they're going to open it up again it's going to be set during the third age of middle earth so another thing is it could be the whole tom bombadil storyline which was actually admitted from the trilogy maybe it's something like that we don't know Omitted. for sure at this <laughs> point what it is who knows that was something that i think fans actually were a little baffled by because he doesn't even get a mention i watched the behind the scenes which is awesome for lord of the rings if you ever get a chance it's fantastic mm -hmm. they go into great detail and i guess they did discuss you know including that scene but decided that it just wasn't serving the overall narrative and because they had to fit such a large expansive story into a two and a half hour time frame they just felt that we're gonna have to cut it but i think fans were a little bit upset with that tom bombadil being potentially maybe the strongest person in middle earth who knows maybe who uh, knows? that's what that's what they'll do also in relation to that lord of the rings post we got comments from patrick mcmahon and julian gutierrez so patrick said if they ruin it i'll never stop complaining lol so that's the best part about being a fan i mean we can have a podcast now we can complain all we want they what? absolutely do there's literally yeah. like youtube channels dedicated to it yeah so don't stop complaining and uh <laughs> julian said extremely hesitant it sounds like obviously after rings of power which we have gone in depth with on this podcast it sounds like the idea that people are going to try to tackle the Tolkien world Middle Earth again, they're not thrilled. At least that's the limited feedback that we're getting here. I have a couple more shout outs. One goes to Sean Gaston, who CP in relation to a post you did about Qui-Gon Jinn or Liam Neeson's criticism of Disney Star Wars. He said, mm -hmm. I think the guy who used the word midi-chlorians doesn't get to talk about ruining things. But in all seriousness, if the spinoffs felt more unified, we wouldn't have such fractured half-assed stories all over the place. It's not that there's too much. It's what we got being bad. I do agree to the point that he's saying like, hey, everything feels fractured, right? There's the sequel trilogy, which is taking place post Return of the Jedi, but way in the future. There's the Mandoverse, which is taking place immediately after Return of the Jedi. They've done additional Clone Wars, Rebels, which are basically prequel to between the prequels and the original trilogy. There's the mm -hmm. Obi-Wan series and or Rogue One. They're, they're all over. They don't seem to have any sort of unifying theme among them. They don't have this kind of Marvel MCU glue that makes it seems like, hey, something from Rogue One will be really important in mm -hmm. The Rise of Skywalker. We just didn't know it yet. Mm -hmm. They just don't have that. You know, the only thing that glues them together is apparently like the uh, Star Wars intro. Mm -hmm. And then that's it. Sean, I do kind of agree. 
And Star Wars has been a bit of, you know, as I said earlier, hit or miss at times, maybe a little bit of a mess. And hopefully Lucasfilm will be able to uh, stitch that all together and we'll get some great Star Wars storytelling. But if you're interested in my true thoughts on that, all you got to do is go back like two episodes and I, I describe in detail what I would love to see from Star Wars. So that, maybe that three episodes. I don't remember. I think it's three. Jazzy the Great chimed in and said, I can't wait to listen on our post about our new episode last week. So I hope you enjoyed the show and you did listen. Sounds like you couldn't wait, but hopefully you got a chance to actually listen. <laughs> and we always appreciate you chiming in. Finally, I want to give a big happy birthday shout out to my sister, Stephanie. So hope you had a great birthday and uh, a great birthday week. Hey, Stephanie, I hope you have a greater birthday than your brother. Mine was pretty great. I don't, did we mention my birthday on the podcast? I do not think that we did. You did a very nice post for me. I appreciate that. I'm very nice. So what can I say? Yeah, I actually ended up going to the desert where you were for the Return of the Jedi story and the Sarlacc Pit story last week. Yeah, it was actually pretty cool. I got to go out to the desert. I have a photo of me. It looks like I'm on Tatooine, which I loved. I mean, you were on Tatooine. So yeah, basically big shout out to uh, Mike Soto and all of my friends who took me out to the desert, me and my wife, Steph, for our birthdays, because Steph and I have the same birthday. CP, you know that. I don't know if our listeners know that or not. Well, now they do. Yeah, that's right. My wife and I have the exact same birthday. We were born on the same day, February 19th. We are exactly the same age. And we all went out to the desert. Mike Soto invited us out and we had a great time. You know, it was a fantastic way to spend your birthday. And maybe, I don't know, being in the desert and that dry air is where I got my cough. Maybe. Could be. Do you have any shout outs on this episode, CP? Yeah. Shout out to Elizabeth Banks. I watched your uh, Cocaine Bear movie. And, oh, how was uh, Cocaine Bear? I will. Dude, you know, I posted about it, but I, it still holds true. It's exactly what you expect it to be. If you watch okay. movies like I do, like Snakes on a Plane or Sharknado that are just over the top and absurd and kind of comedically violent, then you'll love it. If you actually want to see a serious movie about bears and or cocaine drug lords, uh, you might be a little disappointed. There's but, uh, Gr- Grizzly Man and uh, Narcos. They aren't together, but if you are interested in those topics, they're probably yeah. done in a more serious way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take one of them. <laughs> um, also, you know, shout out to, to Ray Liotta. Rip Ray Liotta. Weird that that is the last time we will ever see you for the first time in a movie, but it was kind of cool that he was back to Ray Liotta classic. The, That's awesome. the gangster guy that we always expect him to be. Cocaine Bear, based on your recommendation, is probably something that I will check out in streaming. Definitely would love to throw that on one night and just watch it. I don't know if I'm going to make it to the theater for that. I might just out of respect for Ray Liotta. It's the last time I can see him on the big screen. For someone who's had such a legendary career, people are going to watch his movie Goodfellas for, for decades. You oh. know? It's just so weird to think that the last movie he ever did is... One about a cracked up bear. But I mean, hey, up I, bear. I always love recommendations like that, though, CP, because you're basically like, listen, this is what it is. It's exactly what you think it would be. If that's what you're interested in, then check it out. Every once in a while, something comes around where I'm like, whoa, that was not at all what I thought it was going to be. And it was way better. Mm-hmm. I don't can't think of anything off the top of my head, but it's, it's something I'll probably end up checking out. Before we dive into all of our topics this week, I just wanted, I, so this came up when I was out at a restaurant and I wanted to get your opinion on this. Ooh. Do you prefer one way or the other? That's, that's how I'm going to pose this. That's right. the most ambiguous question I've ever heard. So, okay. Yeah, please <laughs> elaborate. When it comes to streaming, Do you prefer that a series or a show be dropped all at once like they do it on Netflix or week to week like they do it on almost every other streaming service? I actually prefer the Netflix drop. Why? 
Well, the the promise of streaming originally in the early days was watch as much of something as you want, commercial free, no limitations, right? The whole concept of binge watching was really born then. And for me, I don't like having to wait week to week to watch one episode. If I'm going to watch a television show, as our streaming ch- habits have changed in this streaming world and the way we consume content, I would rather watch multiple episodes of a series at once. So for me, I'm all about the Netflix, drop it all at once. Otherwise, I, I end up finding myself waiting to the end of a series so I can just sit there and watch the whole thing. Bam. That is exactly what I said. So this came up. I was out at dinner. Somebody asked me, had I started watching The Last of Us on HBO Max? And I was like, no, I haven't, although I've heard good things. And they were like, how are you not watching this? And I was like, I already looked it up. And like the last episode releases for season one, or at least if they're going to do just one season, I don't know, in March, like March 12th or March 15th. And I was like, nah, like I'm going to wait till it's all out and then I'll watch it. Mm -hmm. And this came up again the other night. My wife and I are putting on a new series. We're like, what do we want to watch? We didn't want to start any series that weren't completed Mm -hmm. because then you only get like three episodes. And then we have to wait till next week. And I was like, I don't really want to do that. You know, occasionally there might be a show where I'll tune in something like very episodic, like maybe The Mandalorian, Mm -hmm. where I'm like, okay, I'll throw it on for like a really kind of in-depth show. I'm like, I would much rather prefer the whole season drop and then I can binge watch it at my leisure, but I can watch as much as I want. And I also hate the fact that they typically do launch with two or three episodes to get you invested. But then the continual release is just one episode at a time. Kind of a waste to me. Particularly, and I will, streaming services, I hope you're listening, but particularly with 30-minute episodes of shows, that seems a bit ridiculous to be releasing week to week. Maybe an hour long if I can get a a little bit of a binge on. But I'm like 30 minutes. I had to wait a week for 30 minutes. you got to speed that up. This is streaming. In my opinion, I don't know how the the masses feel. So listeners, be sure to chime in on this topic. But that's how I would prefer it. Just drop the season. And Netflix does it. So I've experienced it. I know how it works. And I love it. And that's how I want my shows. It's so funny. I actually had a similar conversation about the upcoming season three of Ted Lasso. Oh, yeah. It goes week to week. She's like, are you going to watch it? And I'm like, yeah, I'll watch it in June when it's all done. But I'm not going to like tune in for a 28 minute episode every single week. I'm sorry. My time's too valuable. I did the same thing with season two. So I had seen season one after it it had all dropped. Ted Lasso was already a phenomenon. So I, I, you know caught fire right there and they got me in they reeled me in so i checked it out loved season one season two came out i waited till it was all released i didn't watch it i was like you know i don't really want to watch it week to week even though i love the show i don't know i wish streaming services i understand their reasoning for releasing it week to week which is from their perspective, a show has a much longer shelf life, you know, when it comes to each week kind of being a water cooler moment where people are talking about this show each week as, as episodes come out. But still, I think, you know, give the people what they want. I think the big difference is two things. In the 1980s and 90s, when we had fewer shows coming out on network television, yes, it was very easy when people had five things to choose from in the evening to create a water cooler moment. In the streaming world with so many channels, so many options, simply dropping thing on a weekly schedule, I don't think you get the kind of buzz that you once did when a new episode of Friends came out. Yeah. The bigger issue for me, though, is, and we learned this when they started releasing television series on DVD, 
when you draw a series out for 18 weeks, there's a lot of details that you really miss from episode to episode. And when you can yeah. watch it back to back, the characters, the story, everything becomes much more cohesive as the writers intended it. That's true. Not only that, when you think about the actual viewing experience, like let's say right now the Mandalorian's coming out, then Ted Lasso, The Last of Us is still going. It's like, instead of me being able to binge one show that I'm really into at the moment, I'm watching multiple shows at yep. once concurrently yeah. i'd rather watch one show from beginning to end than be watching three or four shows like uh we were watching shrinking on apple tv plus so there's going to be shrinking ted lasso mandalorian and if we had started the last of us that would mean that we're watching four shows concurrently at the same time where i'm like i would much rather prefer to just watch one at a time but i'll yeah. probably check them all out eventually i'm with so, you and hey let's go ahead and make note too that stranger things and wednesday did pretty good in that format. They were two of the top streaming shows of all time. And they got dropped at once. Very true. Based on hours watched or minutes watched or whatever. I mean, it's, it's wild. So, I mean, it's not like Netflix is hurting for viewers over there on their, you know, prime shows. I just prefer it. So listeners, we'll throw this one to you. Interested to see what your thoughts are on that topic. This was just something that came up. CP, I didn't even bring this up in our pre-production because I just wanted to get your thoughts raw. See what you thought. Appreciate it. Yeah, hope, thanks for, hopefully thanks our listeners for catch me some, off guard, man. Yeah, hopefully our listeners have some thoughts on this one. I am going to throw it over to you now for our first official topic this week, which is, CP, it's Oscar season. Yay! It is, in fact, Oscar season. March 12th, the biggest day in Hollywood. Well, not as big as it used to be, but we're still going to say it's the biggest day in Hollywood. The 95th Oscars <laughs> are coming up. There is quite a bit to talk about. D-Man and I have been diligently preparing. Uh, and by diligently, I mean watching some of the Oscar movies. And so audience <laughs> chime in where we cannot because we have not seen everything. I have not. We do not intend to. But we wanted to have a little bit of conversation about the movies that may be winning this year. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start at the top with like best picture or do you want to go the same way the award show does and start at the bottom and work our way to the top? I'd say we start at the bottom and work our way up. What do you think about that? All right, sounds good to me. Where do you want to start then? Let's do the, right. the writing awards. Okay, so we got best, best adapted screenplay and best original screenplay. So here's the thing. For the most part, a lot of these mm. movies are the same. So really quick, CP, I'm going to do a rundown of the best pictures and then wherever there's standouts in each category, we'll kind of acknowledge what those are. So the 10 films nominated for best picture this year are All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar The Way of Water, The Banshees of Inishirin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. So those are the, the, the 10 kind of films nominated for Best Picture. They're going to pop up in each of these categories in different places. But occasionally, there's other movies that are nominated, and we'll acknowledge what those are. So for Best Adapted Screenplay, we have All Quiet on the Western Front, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, Living, Top Gun Maverick, and Women Talking. So you can see there's definitely some overlap there. Glass Onion and Living stand out as the new additions here. So based on those, I know you've seen uh, actually most of those, I think. What do you, for what the, is for the best picture I, nominees? No, best adapted screenplay. Yeah, I have seen most of them. My thought is this obviously, we'd love to see Top Gun Maverick, and there may be a push in this category because it killed it in the box office. And as Steven Spielberg said, it did restore audiences back into the movie theaters. I think he They're credits Tom Cruise with saving somewhere. it, so I think yeah. it has to get something. So I think that you know, we'll probably get a sound award and things like that, but I think this is actually a really good spot where we could see a win for Top Gun Maverick. I personally think, though, it is likely to be women talking. 
talking. Okay, interesting. Have you ever heard of that novel? That's not something that I've read. But I have not read it, and I did not see the movie either. I'm only okay, going so- based off of the conversation that I've heard surrounding the movie. When you think about it, every year the Oscars kind of does officially or unofficially sort of select a theme past we've seen it be like hey like we're really trying to focus on movies about equality we're really trying to focus on movies about environmentalism we're really and we see hollywood talking to the rest of the world about these are things we care about and i think based on the tone of the film and the context of the film i think that this is really has a great shot at at standing out because of that now were you surprised to see glass onion here a knives out mystery i mean that's very it's a very fun script in a way it's not I mean, it's not necessarily taking itself too seriously. I think it is weird. I also think it's weird when it's under adapted screenplay. I mean, in the same way that Maverick is, because I think really when we're thinking about an adapted screenplay, we're really usually thinking like, what was a novel that was turned into a film? Not yeah. so much what movie was out there and we're just going to take some of these characters and put them in another movie. Well, it almost think- implies that like any sequel would be an adapted screenplay. Right. And I don't think that's really the intention of the. Yeah. I mean, like, would Godfather 2 be an adapted screenplay? I mean, I guess you could make that case when especially (laughs) when you think about it, when Ryan Johnson wrote the original Knives Out, I would think that you could make the case that Top Gun Maverick is more of an adapted screenplay when you have someone basing a movie off of someone else's characters and movie and world. Right. Then it's clearly an adaptation versus a guy saying, hey, I made one movie and I made another movie and there was a little bit of crossover. But so for me, I think that's the weirdest part about it. Hmm. Okay. That takes us over to actual best original screenplay. And all five of these are nominated for best picture. The Banshees of Inishirin, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, and Triangle of Sadness. I mean, this is one where obviously best original screenplay, you're probably going to want to have seen these movies, want to have had seen these movies in order to make a a good call. Now, from what I've heard, I'm guessing this is going everything, everywhere, all at once. Just my, you know, layman's opinion here. I think it's actually going to be Banshees of Inishirin. Okay. I thought the writing was phenomenal. I actually really enjoyed that movie, but I think what makes it is it is a dark comedy, which we know is a hard term. It's a very difficult genre to create successfully and then bring to screen. I think that that might get best original. Now, what I will give you is I think everywhere, everything everywhere is by far the most original from a concept perspective. So I mean, yeah, that's why I was picking it was it just seems like something we've never quite seen before. Here's the thing while we're talking about this, everything everywhere all at once, is that kind of the fan favorite? Or do you think the fans are rooting for something like Top Gun Maverick here? And I think you you've kind of always hinted, you know, we've talked about this in the past, the decision to expand the best picture list to 10 films hasn't really changed the formula in the sense that there's still the five films that would have been selected and are likely the only five that really stand a chance. I mean, how often do those additional five films truly show up in? Probably not. I don't know know, ever. I can't think of any of them where we're like, oh, they're like, okay, hey, Black Panther's in this. But does anyone actually think that Black Panther that year was going to win Best Picture? No, obviously that was a nod to get the fans excited about something that everybody's seen. I still don't think that Top Gun Maverick honestly has a shot in any way of winning Best Picture. So I think that of the five that have a legitimate shot, I think probably Everything Everywhere is the most popular of them and the most widely seen. Because so of, of the five, of the five. And I think the reason why is when it came out in April, it kind of took everybody by surprise. People were like, wow, you should really see this movie. It's great. It's different. It's fun. It's crazy. And well, it was a movie. I saw the trailer for it. And you know what? 
the trailer didn't really get me excited. I was kind of like, what is this? Word of mouth is what really brought that movie to my attention. And that's why I think it, it really might have a shot because obviously from the trailer and doing a little research on the film, it seems really original. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about best original screenplay here. But yeah, even in, in a general sense, I think sometimes just viewers get behind something that's maybe, you know, a little crazy. Sometimes they're rooting for a person, you know, Leo, we're looking at you, you know, Martin Scorsese. Other times they're behind a movie, something like say uh, Parasite, where they're just very excited for a movie and they want to see that movie rewarded. And I think that might be the film this year. I know me personally, you know, we're looking, I'm looking at best original screenplay. They have the Fablemans on there. I'm actually, you know, personally, I'm rooting for Spielberg. I love Spielberg, love his work. He probably has the best filmography, you know, of any, anybody that, that I can think of. I'm personally rooting for him for that one, but CP, I have to go out on a limb here. I'd kind of be shocked if he won any awards for that movie, despite the great reviews and and what I've heard from everybody who's seen it. It just doesn't seem like a movie that's going to move the needle for awards this year. Well, it's so weird, right? Because I mean, Spielberg is quite possibly the most talented director ever. When you really look at how many of his movies have been in the conversations for best pictures and things like that, I don't think that this in any way carries the weight that some of his previously nominated films does. Well, we're talking excellent, excellent. I mean, Schindler's List. Like best movies ever made level. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, you got Jaws and E.T. and and like some really, really great films in there. Now, there, there is something that weird that could happen, which is... Hollywood really is self-infatuated and they really do love movies about movies. Interesting. We could see people be like, you know, this is someone that everybody in the industry admires and respects. So he might have such a long, there could be, I don't think we'll be a sweet, but I think there could be a little extra like, yeah, let's show Spielberg a little bit more love because everybody loves him. I went ahead and did best screenplay here. So I'm gonna throw it over to you. Do you have the lists up? Yes, I do. Go ahead and take us into our next category. So let's start with Best Supporting Actress. Okay. And the nominees are Angela Bassett for Black Panther or Kind of Forever, Hoang Chow for The Whale, uh, Carrie Condor for Banshees of Inishirish, um, Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Stephanie Husu for Everything Everywhere All at Once. I don't know what your thoughts are. I don't know how many of those you've seen. My thoughts are, especially with Best Supporting, is that unless you have something that is so standout, a a la Heath Ledger as the Joker, right? Unless you have something that's like that, I think they often are awarding to what they believe are the better films. So as you've mentioned, I I think nominees for like the Banshees of Inishirin, they're, I don't know. I think they might win. Okay. She was great in it. Um, I think we might see Hong Chao for the whale because she was really good in it. And okay. obviously it is not a movie that, ha- you know, she plays the daughter. No, she's the nurse who comes. Oh, the nurse. Okay. Who, the nurse friend who comes to check on him and help him. I mean, if you've watched the whale, it's a movie essentially taking place in an apartment the entire time. It has three or four actors in it. The entire movie. It is a movie based on acting and brand uh brendan fraser was incredible and i think she was a good counter so that's going to be what i'm going to guess as my as my takeaway awesome now let's talk best supporting actor brendan gleason for the brand uh for the banshees of inishirin uh brian tyner henry for causeway judd hish for the fablemans barry kugman for the banshees of inishirin and 
I can never say his name. Huhu Kwan for everything, everywhere, all at once. And what's your take? Who do you think? Oh, I think it's him. I think everybody loves the fact that he has become such a story. You know, this guy who fell into acting by accident was okay. on top of the world in the 80s with two of the biggest 80s movies <laughs> yeah. of all time, The Temple of Doom <laughs> and The Goonies. And yeah. then he talked about how he couldn't get a callback for decades. decades. Yeah. And he's back and he just is so genuine and sincere and likable. I really think that he is is going to be the... Uh, well, it might be the feel away. good story of the night. I yeah, mean, yeah. and the Oscars need those moments, you know, those moments where we all just can cheer a little bit. We're like, hell yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. and that might be one of those moments. I was actually going to say the same thing. This is one of those kind of standout. I, you know, obviously I've heard his performance was fantastic, but not only that, I think it's the, the moment the Oscars is going to be like, yeah, let's all cheer. Yeah. And I think probably if I had to go second choice, I'd go Brendan Gleeson for Banshees. Cause as I said, kind of the same thing movie really based on, uh, performance and, and writing and his chemistry with Colin Farrell is is absolutely amazing you know okay it's, um so I could see I could I think that would be the the one who I think is the second most realistic chance gotcha next up let's let's move on is it gonna be best best actress and act or, or actor go with that yeah all right so let's see who we got here best well we'll do best actor or no, we'll do best actor. Sorry, that's what I have pulled up. Okay, so we have Austin Butler for Elvis, Colin Farrell for Banshees, Brendan Fraser, The Whale, Paul Mescal, After Sun, and Bill Nighy, Living. What do you think? Because I obviously the feel good story here is Brendan Fraser, his return uh, for The Whale. I, I know it got standing ovations when it premiered at the different film festivals. And I think he's probably gotten the most press around uh, like Oscar noise. You know, obviously, I think Austin Butler was very well received as Elvis. Like you said, Colin Farrell in Banshees. I haven't seen the other two, but I, those three I know uh, obviously gave fantastic performances. So I don't know. I'd be I'd be interested. Interested. I think it what has think? to be Brendan Fraser. OK, he is incredible in the movie and he is so much bigger than the film itself. And for an actor who kind of went into the industry on the basis of, of being this kind of good looking guy in the nineties for him uh, to yeah. pull out that kind of, in, I mean, he literally is just wears a 300 pound fat suit and you know, it is just his acting that, that you see in the movie and it's incredible. Um, I think it's gotta be him. I do feel like he got snubbed. I know people might be thinking Austin Butler because he did win the golden, uh, the, at the golden globes for best actor. You have to remember there's this weird history with Brendan and Frazier and the Hollywood foreign press. And I think that's what bled through and kept him from winning there. So I, I think he's, he's going to walk away with it very easily. All right. Well, that would be a moment I think in the show where if his name isn't called, there might be a slight kind of oh, like exhale in the audience where they're like, you, you quickly have to start applause because you're very happy for the person who won. But I think that might be one of the moments where people are like, Oh, mm -hmm. didn't see that coming. Yeah. So for Best Actress, we have Kate Blanchett in Tar, Ana de Armas, Blonde, Andrea Riseborough to Leslie, Michelle Williams, The Fablemans, and Michelle Yao, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And I have, I have heard that Kate Blanchett will run away with this. That's the same thing that I've heard. I have not seen Tar. I'm trying I've to heard think. It's, it's hers to lose. That's I've seen I've, I've seen Blonde, I've seen Fablemans, I've seen everything everywhere. And I and I would agree from everything I've heard. I think she's got it. Yeah, I think that's hers to lose. And if that would be incredible. So I'm excited to see just because uh, has she won before Kate Blanchett? Uh, I believe she definitely has. OK, I was going to say, I don't know how many she has, but 
No, that'd be awesome. Especially, you know, every once in, you know, every one of the categories, eventually you got to have somebody who's just overwhelming, the, overwhelmingly the favorite where you're like, it's done. So for best director, we have, now, how do you say this? Martin McDonough? Mm-hmm. Is that how you say it? Okay. The Banshee yeah. or Banshees, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, everything, everywhere, all at once. Steven Spielberg, The Fablemans, Tom Field, Tar, and Ruben Ostlund, Triangle mm-hmm. of Sadness. So again, these, I believe all five of those are nominated for Best Picture. Now, I'm curious, you know, this category is always interesting because often people say that Best Director should go hand in hand with Best Picture. It does not always happen. It does not always. Yeah. So I'm curious what your thoughts are here because I, I have an opinion and I think it'll probably go both ways but would they reward spielberg here that's probably like, a good spot to give spielberg an award especially for previous years where i think they may think that he was deserving of a best director win and didn't get it i think because it could be a, a spielberg celebration for best director i mean a lifelong look at his work and his inspiration and where his vision and everything comes from i mean that would be a cool hollywood moment i mean maybe hollywood's best director of all time i mean making I a movie about himself <laughs> yeah and then getting the award for it i mean that would be pretty cool but yeah the reason it works i think is because he really is that good. Yeah, right. This so, isn't like anyone else. This is Spielberg. Oh, this is the guy. And he has made everyone in that room so much money. Yep. I mean, I could yeah. see them going Spielberg here. And I would root for it. I, w- I want to see Spielberg win Best Director. But I won't say my picks. What What would you pick? I, I think it might. I think it's going to go to... Um, the guys for everything everywhere. That's what I was going to say. And, I, and the only reason why is look at how many actors from that movie have been nominated, you know, for, for their acting awards. Yeah, for sure. There's about four or five. So that counts for something Two, I think the fact that it is a very original film and it is a very much an experience watching the film, I think lends a lot to their uh, case to be best director. Now, I will mention this, though, and we've seen this in the past. The Academy, the industry does slightly frown upon the the dual director concept that that may hurt them. Okay, that brings us CP to best picture. Now, we have those 10 nominees. First of all, (coughs) you know, there's a couple movies here that I think I can essentially kind of rule out that I don't think are going to win. Avatar, Elvis, Fablemans and Top Gun. I think. What a great honor to be nominated, but I would be shocked if any of those won Best Picture. Shocked. Okay. Elvis, I think even to a certain extent, I totally understand Austin Butler being nominated for Best Actor. I mean, I my guess is if you had five nominees, that's not going to be in the list. Avatar, five nominees, not going to be in the list. But it's already the third highest grossing film of all time. I mean... <laughs> yeah, insane, right? You know, then you have James Cameron over there who often, you know, is kind of vocal about not caring about winning the award for best picture. He'd rather have the third highest grossing film, you know? And I think if they were going to award anything to the Fablemans, I think it would be for Spielberg in best director. I don't, I just don't think that movie was enough to be the best picture of the year. The movie that I brought it up too. I mean, then you have to say, we're saying this is Spielberg's best picture. Arguably, it has to be in the conversation for one of his best films. And it's just not. I don't think so. But I mean, for a man who's made the best. Now, here's the crux. It is Top Gun Maverick. That is the movie that, no, I do not think it's going to win. I think that movie could be the best picture of the year. Not only did it 
break open uh, the box office and it made a ton of money. It, it is Tom Cruise's highest grossing movie of all time. Tom Cruise also is a person who hasn't really been awarded at the Academy Awards, especially for everything he's contributed to mm-hmm. Hollywood. And as you said, there is that video, that kind of whisper from Spielberg saying, you know, hey, you saved theaters and the movie industry. Mm-hmm. And then that movie was awesome yeah so if the academy was ever going to make that statement that hey an underdog and it'd be crazy to think of top gun maverick as an underdog but based on the the action genre and what it where it is i think it's a bit of an underdog if they were ever going to make that statement that a popcorn fan-friendly film was going to win best picture you could do it right here okay fair enough i do not actually think it will win I think more than likely, and I'm going to have you pick between these two, but I, I think it's going to be Banshees or Everything Everywhere. And I think it'll be Everything Everywhere. And I think they might also win Best Director. What do you think? Where, where's your pick? And what do you think about Top Gun? Top Gun was the best movie of the year. Hands down. We've seen time and time again where the best movie of the year does not win Best Picture, right? Yeah. What the masses love what translate in terms of box office, what translates into cultural phenomenon does not translate into artistic best picture. And and part of that is, as we know, right, people have been outspoken about this for a long time. To get on the list, yeah, that takes the talent. The actual winner is industry politics. That's why I think a lot of times fans are kind of disappointed. Well, one other thing has me to wondering is the director for Top Gun Maverick was not nominated for best director. Usually I, mm-hmm. those two go hand in hand. Not you don't have to always win, but I mean I'd be shocked if some a, a film wins best picture where the director wasn't even nominated for best director. I believe it happened with Argo. Yeah, it's That's very the last rare. time I can think it happened. Yeah, it doesn't happen often. They're like we so, like Argo, we don't like you Ben Affleck. Like a lot GTFL. of times, yeah, a lot of times best director wins best picture. Their their film wins best picture, but normally at least one of the you know, the film that wins, they were at least nominated definitely kind of throws me off. I would be shocked. I'd be really interested to see what happens here. But between Banshees and Everything Everywhere All at Once, are those your your other top two? Or or who do you have in your top three? Um, so I think I've seen eight of these. Now, I did Damn, not see it's pretty Tarn, good. But I will tell you, a good friend of the show who will remain anonymous out of respect for him did tell me that he thinks Tar is is the best film of the year from this list. Now, okay. he did follow it up by saying it is a very pretentious film, but I'm a very pretentious filmmaker, and that's why I enjoyed it. So makes me think Tar is out of the rut, um, okay. just because I don't think it's going to translate in quite the same way. Now, I do not think All Quiet on the Western Front has a, is going to take it, and part of that is because it is in German, and subtitle movies never do as well as I think people think they will. Also, it runs the risk of we have unfortunately had some incredible war epics and it just does not muster, you know, what they do. Now, I will admit, if you get a chance to see it, is it is on Netflix. There is a couple incredible moments. There's this one where they line up in the trenches and all of a sudden the tanks appear for the first time. And it's an amazing scene and it's really horrifying and one of the best like cinematic war scenes i can think of but i don't again as i said it's it's subtitled it's not really taking us anywhere that we haven't seen in some of these great war movies that we've had over the past 20 years so i think that's out i'm with you i don't think maverick and avatar are going to 
really stand a chance. And part of it just is there. I think people think of them as too, too poppy and not artistic enough. So Popcorn I, flicks. yeah, I would agree with you. I think it probably comes down to Banshees and everything everywhere. I'm going to lean on Banshees because I think it's more okay artistic uh, <laughs> quote unquote. I think oh, that that might God. be something that, that the industry might eat up. Listeners, and as I said, I think it's going to win know. best writing. Okay. Well, there so. we go. That's, that's our picks. I would love to see what you guys think. If you've seen most of the movies, if anything, let us know who you're rooting for, you know, cause CP, I can honestly say most years I haven't seen every movie. So I can't be objective and be like, which of these 10 movies is the best one? But I do have a couple that I've seen and I'm always like, all right, I'm rooting for this guy, hopefully, you know? Mm -hmm. And then usually I always try to check out uh, whoever won and then maybe a couple of the other really good ones afterwards. Yeah. yeah. So, which they do call that, what do they call that? The Oscars bump? Yep. You know, these films get a second life after the Oscars. Well, I'm part of that. So I definitely go and try to check them out later. So yeah, let us know, listeners, who are you rooting for? What are your picks? And- do you think CP and I are full of it? I, I Maybe CP, you've seen most of the movies, so we might end up doing a tally card for you after the Oscars. See how you did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. All right. I guess we'll see. We'll see if the industry agrees with me. They probably don't. Before we head out, we have one more thing we want to talk about, and that is Best Picture Films that didn't win best picture nominees that didn't win best picture, but probably should have. And we're going to do a little bit of a list this year because there is often years where, right. A film that not only uh, it makes its way into our culture, you know, delivers for us, you know, for decades, like you said, you know, we're going to talk about it. Goodfellas is a great example. Didn't win best picture, but damn, is that movie still as popular as ever? Which movies we think, you know, were deserving of a best picture win. So if you want, I'll go ahead and throw it over to you. We'll do our kind of top five and then talk about this a little bit. Like what happened here? First of all, I think, I think we need to start by let's, let's scroll back through the, through the past a little bit. It is really hard retrospectively to judge the best picture. Right. And I'm only going to say that in the sense that there are movies that at the time pushed the limits of cinema. There's other movies that have stood the test of time. And I think when we look back, we're like, well, obviously this should have won in comparison to this. Yeah, I hear you. We need to consider that. The other thing is too, and we've talked about this in the past, there are some years where the competition is so close and other years there's movies which clearly run away with it. And I'm going to point to three years for our audience if you're following along with us to check. So these are kind of the examples. This This is what you're saying. These are years where you're like, Uh, Look at 1939, look at 2010, and look at 2019. Okay, let's let's list out the nominees here. Let's see who we got. Pull them up. I got to I got to I got to pull it up on my end, too. Grabbing it. So let's start with uh, you want to do 39. Yes. So we have Gone with the Wind, Dark Victory, Goodbye, Mr. Chips, Love Affair, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. How do you say this? Ninochka of of Mice and Men, Stagecoach, The Wizard of Oz and Wuthering Heights. Now, so a few of those are amazing. What I'm going to tell you is, I mean, think about that. The Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. You could argue three of the best movies ever made. Like easily you could argue that. Um, What's crazy is obviously Gone with the Wind and Wizard of Oz were both partially made by the same director as they were cycling directors in and out on each of those projects. So Golden age. You look at that and you're like, (laughs) wow, uh, those are some of the movies that actually shaped cinema in every single way. Let's check out 2010. 
Okay, who do you got? Bear with me. I'm still, I lost my, I lost my, my place here. All right, I got it. Ready? King's Speech, 127 Hours, Black Swan, The Fighter, Inception, The Kids Are All Right, The Social Network, Toy Story 3, True Grit, and Winter's Bone. There's a lot of good movies in there. A lot of great movies. And what's even crazier about it is actually a lot of those movies were popularly nominated movies, right? Like some of those were very well, successful and- box office films. For 39, did we acknowledge uh, Gone with the Wind won? No, we didn't actually point that out. It did win. And I think, you know, most people acknowledge it to be an incredible film, you know, a masterpiece of cinema, an epic production in its own right. But when you look at the other ones, you're like, yeah, you got some great competition. Yeah, and in this case, The King's Speech Mm -hmm. was the winner. So the thing is, though, when you look at this... That's a lot of good movies. Black Swan, The Fighter, Inception, The Social Network, Toy Story 3, True Grit, all great films. That's just a great year for movies right there. Mm -hmm. King's Speech won. I probably, I wouldn't mind if that went to like Black Swan, if they rewarded a popcorn film in Inception just because of its scope and what it was doing. Even I know Toy Story 3 was a bit of a a fan favorite, you know, for fans of animation and, and for different reasons. I don't think I would pick Toy Story 3 personally as the best picture that year. Even The Social Network was really good and is also, I mean, I just watched that like, you know, two months ago. Yeah, right. So, I don't know. I, I think if I was picking, I've seen most of these movies at this point, I would pick Black Swan. That's probably really? what I would pick. That's best. what you would go yeah, with? I think okay. so. Fair enough. Fair enough. So would you stick with King's Speech? You know, do you think that's the best movie of that year? I don't know that it is the best movie. And I love that movie, but I don't know that we could say it's the best. I mean, it's tough. I might have to go with The Social Network. Yeah, I know. It's a great movie. David Fincher. I do love The Fighter. So I'd probably go between those two personally. I think of those movies, The Social Network is my favorite one. And I've, like I said, I've seen most of them, so I can actually say that. I mean, that's hard. It's hard to choose. That's a, you know, and here's another year, 2019. Parasite, Ford vs. Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now, this so year, obviously, I think oh my this is new. So we know Parasite won this year, and that was absolutely the fan favorite. Now, I have to admit, CP, I have not seen Parasite yet, and I might go watch it after this. You probably should. I've heard it's good. I literally saw a video on TikTok the other day, and some guy said it was literally perfect. So um, that's I, the bar. Uh, I don't know that I would say perfect. I mean, it was a good movie. It did seem very weird how kind of automatically the industry geared up for, hey, like this is the film to beat. I still find criminal because I think Once Upon a Time is is an incredible film. Personally, I believe that 1917 is one of the best movies ever made. Yeah, I was going to say 1917 might even be my pick. That was amazing. I mean, I know I, it, it does the kind of one shot trick, but it does it really well. Obviously, we know there's cuts. It, how does it do that? It, it I watched awesome. that movie and it is mind blowing and it yeah, is so well done. I mean, I still I I still feel like it got slightly robbed because I'm like, hey, we have seen, again, the same argument with All Quiet on the Western Front. We have seen great war movies. How are you doing something different than what we've seen before? And Sam Mendes does something different that we haven't seen before. Yeah, I might pick 1917 here. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was great. I would love to see Tarantino get some love. You know, he has had a couple films nominated, has never won. So, Mm -hmm. and obviously, sure, he has his strong opinions and say what you will, but the guy loves movies. Yep, absolutely. And I'm a Tarantino fan. I love his movies. I think they're so much fun. He's so original. I mean, obviously, he borrows a lot from the things that he grew up on, but he puts such a fun spin on everything and just creates absolutely original 
fun works. Love it. No, for sure. I thought Jojo Rabbit was a great movie. And I feel like in some ways Taika Watiki got got robbed there for a... It actually was a really good movie. I mean, I don't know how I, you can make a feel-good movie about Nazis, but he made a feel-good movie about Nazis. Like, Yeah, I mean... <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I was like, he's literally like playing Hitler. I was like, which has to be like most actors are like, nah, I'd prefer not to. You know, I don't want that image associated with me forever. But Mm -hmm. he pulled it off. Yeah, no, it was again, you know, you look at some of these years where it's like, wow, there were a lot of really good movies. It's really tough to pick. And then there's other years where you're like, yeah, we got it. This is clearly going to be the front runner and I don't think anything can beat it. So anyway, I just wanted to bring that up as we're talking about the kind of attention and and the thought process this really goes into looking and creating a list. I'll go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and start, but I'm not going to dig into all the nominees. I just want to point out some of the, the cultural relevance of some of the films that okay. I, I think could have won. And then the movie that beat them and where that kind of stands. Okay. Let's so do and it. I'm just going to go in order. I'm not ranking them, but obviously you guys know me. So number one is 1977's Star Wars defeated by Annie Hall. Now we know Star Wars stands the test of time, but more than that, I think Star Wars was groundbreaking in many different ways. Uh, it was formulaic in others you know, Mm -hmm. following the hero's journey and and some of that. But, you know, as far as what Star Wars did for, you know, blockbusters, popcorn cinema, special effects, and its contributions to uh, franchise filmmaking are just unheard of. And Annie Hall, as great of a movie as that is, because I did go check it out. I had to see it. I enjoyed the movie. I I just, you know, obviously I think Star Wars is the movie that it's like you'd want to celebrate, right? Mm -hmm. No, I agree. I think at that time it was even the highest grossing movie of all time. You know, it was, yeah, you're like, I think that this is the biggest Oscar snub in history. Yeah, it's crazy. Hands down. I think I don't even think you need retro, you know, we need a uh, retrospect on that to know the impact that Star Wars had on filmmakers on, you know, it's just what mm-hmm. what what it did. So, uh next up it, for me is 1999 or sorry, not 99, 1990. That is Dances with Wolves defeated Goodfellas. So, also I mentioned criminal yeah, I mentioned this before. Obviously, Goodfellas is kind of the, you know, in that Scorsese style of like following a guy through the, you know, the decades, through his life. Uh, but a fan favorite and a movie that has stood the test of time is as good today as ever. Again, another movie I've watched guaranteed within the last two months. I mean, I've watched Star Wars, Goodfellas. Well, and, and, and Scorsese for a <laughs> you know, long time, you know, was known for getting snubbed by the Oscars. But I think when we look back at his career, the movie he finally won for, The Departed, is not his best movie. And I think no, it's everyone films. would agree with that. And I think one of those is the fact that Goodfellas probably got They got robbed. Is Dances with Wolves better than Goodfellas? It's no, just objectively it's no. No, it's, it's not. not. So next up, I'm just going to go to the next year here. 1991, Silence of the Lambs defeats Beauty and the Beast. Now, this is a a hot take because I actually do think Silence of the Lambs is maybe the better movie here. But I'm also a big fan of animation. I think Beauty and the Beast is one of the most beautiful and fantastic stories ever told in animation. It's done incredibly well. And I would have loved to have seen, you know, that original craft because now we're in 3D animation, computer animation. The, you know, I understand Beauty and the Beast does have a little computer work in it, but it is still hand drawn. And there's just such a beautiful quality to that movie that I would have loved. I was rooting for it is what I'm saying. I got you. I got you. But I I understand Science of the Lambs. I get that. I mean, Hannibal Lecter, Science of the Lambs is still great. Creepy as ever. You know, hey, 1994, we're back. Here we go. 
uh, CP, this year is wild. Pulp Fiction and Shawshank Redemption were defeated by Forrest Gump. All of those movies, amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. All of them, amazing. I mean, I still watch Forrest Gump. I still watch Shawshank Redemption. And I still watch Pulp Fiction. Now, I know Shawshank on IMDb is like the highest rated movie of all time. Forrest Gump was obviously a fan favorite. One of the rare times, one of those won. And again, you know, pushing field... pushing cinema, right? Yeah, Zemeckis they did, did a lot of things. new things with technology. But, but tell me Pulp Fiction no. is not the best movie of that list. Absolutely. It absolutely is. What Tarantino's doing with nonlinear storytelling his kind of take on these old pulp movie stories, his twists on all the gangster genres and kind of story tropes. The acting in that movie is incredible. It's it's quotable. He literally created a copycat genre after this for Pulp yeah. Fiction. It was that good. Yep. I mean, to me, it is hands down, it has had the biggest impact on the industry, on filmmakers. And I honestly, I think it's the best movie. Even though I know there's a lot of people out there who would agree, who would disagree whether they're taking Shawshank or Forrest Gump, I'm going Pulp Fiction. And trust no, me, I love all three of those movies. I'm, I'm with you, Demon. I'm with you. And then finally, I'm going 1998, Saving Private Ryan, defeated by Shakespeare in Love. I love Shakespeare in Love. Oh my God. That has to be one of the <laughs> grossest upsets <laughs> ever. So I have no idea what happened there. But for some reason, they went with Shakespeare in Love. Like you said, this is one of those Hollywood things where they're like maybe in love with storytelling and well, classic story structures and all this stuff. I don't know. Saving Private Ryan only, is absolutely incredible. The only thing I can think of is this. When we look at that complete list, what else was nominated? Saving Private Ryan, The Thin Red Line, and uh, Life is Beautiful. Now, Ooh, Life is Beautiful is awesome I think too. Life is Beautiful is an amazing movie. But I think part of the problem may have been you had three movies about World War II, two of them specifically war films, which many people consider among the greatest war movies ever made. So and 1917 is awesome, too. Oh, it's, it's yeah. still a good movie. I like Saving Private Ryan more, but yeah, I, I hear you. And I, and I wonder, wonder if the Thin Red Line crowd and the Saving Private Ryan crowd kind of peeled votes off of one another. And that's sort of what, you know, when you, you look at that, right. Shakespeare in Love is the one thing that kind of gets propped up as being none of those things. It doesn't involve Nazis. It doesn't involve, you know, genocide. It doesn't involve millions of people dying. It's a romantic comedy thing. I mean, has anybody rewatched Shakespeare in Love? Is that anyone's favorite movie? Does <laughs> I mean, I watched it one time to be like, this movie be beat Saving Private Ryan. That's what and... I'm saying. Like, has anybody been like, hey, let's put on Shakespeare in Love? That was about no, it. I, I can't. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't. Dissing any of you out there. And if you're one of those people, I would love to hear your case for why Shakespeare in Love is better than Saving Private Ryan. So make that case. All right. All right, CP, I'm going to throw it over to you. That's my five. Okay. So as you guys know, D-Man and I do not try to repeat things in the same list. So I went back, unlike D-Man, I, I, I did not just do it alphabetically. I actually did it in terms of what I think were the biggest snubs. So the first honorable mention I'm going to go with was 1962, Lawrence of Arabia 1. And you can listen oh, okay. to me talk about how much I hate Lawrence of Arabia on the episode where we had Harrison on. I actually think it is messed up, even though it is an epic film. It beat the movie To Kill a Mockingbird which okay. 1962, incredibly transformative film based on an incredibly transformative novel, you know, considered one of the greatest novels written in American literature, a very faithful adaptation. Um, I think that that was a missed opportunity. 
And I think that To Kill a Mockingbird should have won. Lawrence of Arabia is Steven Spielberg's favorite film. So well, I might Steven have to... Spielberg is apparently <laughs> losing so much stock in my book. I might have to side with Spielberg on that one. Negative. Honorable mention number two, 2004. The winning film was Million Dollar Baby. And I think that the winning film should have been Scorsese's The Aviator. Interesting. Ooh. I don't, I don't know, know if, if you... I, again, CP, I don't know if I agree here. You're going to go Million Dollar. No, look, I love Clint Eastwood. I love Clint Eastwood. I know. I might. Anybody take... else. But Million Dollar Baby is not <clears throat> even remotely close to Clint Eastwood's best film. Not even yeah, remotely. All right. Yeah, and. I I would make the argument, I, well, I do not think that The Aviator is Scorsese's best film. I think that you can argue it is definitely Leonardo DiCaprio's best performance. And Interesting. in an incredible movie in its own right, which I think should have actually beat out okay. Million Dollar Baby. So that's my vote. Now, you see, can... that's a, that's one where like if they swap those, I don't think I would argue against it. I'd be like, you're crazy. I don't think, I mean, if they picked Aviator, I'd be like, that's fair. All right. All right. So. Now, this is my actual top five list. Number five. All right, let's hear 1957. It. The winning film was Bridge on the River Kwai. Have you ever seen that, Alec Guinness? Alec Guinness, yep. Good film. There are people, I think, that have overhyped it in memory as a better film. But the film that it beat that I actually think is incredible in every way is 12 Angry Men. And oh, yeah, yeah. At the time, 12 Angry Men is a actor's movie. It is people in one room being a jury deliberating a case it has some incredible performances. It was at I've the time of- one of the, you know, made for like the lowest budget, like of a, you know, of a film. Continue. I'm actually going to agree with you here because I, I've heard too, I've seen both those movies, but uh, 12 Angry Men now is often regarded as maybe even a top 10 film of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in a lot of people's lists. I, I don't know if it's in the definitive list. It's probably top 20 for sure. But, you know, Bridge Bridge on the River Kwai uh, definitely probably will make somewhere on that list. But I think 12 Angry Men stands the test of time it's relevant today mm-hmm. after all these years powerful still good. Film they still show it yeah incredible they still show it in school yeah it's it's awesome uh, number four 1952 the winning film was the greatest show on earth which is in my opinion probably one of the most lackluster best pictures ever it's about some people in the big top and the story is a little convoluted and it's not really pushing the limits and that's remarkable given its title what it beat was high noon which Ooh. Ooh. High Noon is considered agree by some people too, yeah. to be the best Western ever made. And yeah, again, there. pushing the limits of cinema in the sense that this is a movie presented to the audience in real time. That's right? awesome. Yeah, I'm going to agree. I agree. So I, I don't see, like, I, I feel like High Noon was wrong. Uh, number three, 1956. The film is Around the World in 80 Days. Again, another kind of lackluster best picture win. Sure, kind of like a fun adventure you know, globetrotting adventure film. Yeah. But the movie that it beat was The Ten Commandments, an epic of cinema. Okay. Also pushing special effects limits and doing yeah. some cool stuff there. And I mean, I know that we, we could argue that the best picture award kind of shows a bias towards epics, but I think the reason is because that they are truly taking everything <laughs> that we know and pushing the limits of cinema. And again- Well, I can, I can see a pattern on what you're judging these films on now. <laughs> Number two- 1981, the winning movie was Chariots of Fire. Did you ever see it? No, I, I mean, obviously I've seen I've seen that scene. I've, I've, know, I've, famous. Yeah, I, I think I've watched it one time. And I think, sadly, the music from Chariots of Fire stands the test of time better than the movie right, itself, yeah, that's right? That's what we remember. Yeah. The movie that it beat, though, is Spielberg's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, I, yeah, 
I could see why this one, I can see why the Academy chose what they chose. You know, Raiders is maybe like the ultimate kind of like popcorn blockbuster flick. I mean, which one do I like more? Obviously Raiders. Which, which one, one stood the test of th- time more, you know? Yeah, Raiders. So, you know, it's, but here's the thing. And this is why I'm going to, I'm going to actually kind of disagree with vote you. against is, Spielberg. Huh? No, I just, I was shocked to hear that Raiders was nominated for best picture. I don't even think I would have, I would have, if you had asked me that, I would probably have been like, no. Well, the crazy thing is, I think if you make a list of the 10 best films of the eighties, Raiders of the Lost Ark is probably like in the top three. A couple Spielberg films would be on there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then number one for me, and this is, it might seem a little weird to some people. The year is 1976. And the winning film was actually one of my favorite movies, Rocky. Oh, it's okay. Just that the film that it beat is Taxi Driver and Taxi Driver is amazing. Agree with you on that one. We actually did, we, we should probably do a total rewind on Rocky. Uh, yeah. they, we got Creed 3 coming out. So we might even get, a, get around to that. Maybe we should but, do that. Yeah, I know. I feel like we should. But we actually did do a total rewind on Taxi Driver. And that, again, is a movie. Like what Scorsese is doing from a storytelling standpoint. Also, visually, especially with the end, the, the you know, gruesome stuff and, and just some of what's going on, you know, in that film. Uh, he's he's pushing boundaries. That movie's incredible. I mean, obviously, it was the inspiration for Joker, an inspiration for quite a few filmmakers. And so for me, I'm just like, yeah, I, I love Rocky, but I love Taxi Driver and Taxi Driver cinematically is a better film. Now I'm going to throw this out at you. We've obviously talked about Scorsese getting robbed a couple of times. What do you think's better, Goodfellas or Taxi Driver? Goodfellas. I think I'd agree too. So but, I think ugh. Taxi Driver is definitely a slightly more experimental film, but I think Goodfellas is not only Scorsese at the top of his craft, but its influence on that genre, it's influence you know again kind of like tarantino with pulp fiction it's inspired so many copycat Mm -hmm. versions of that like it was it was just so influential in what it did and i swear to you goodfellas plays it's like a classic it plays just as good today it's amazing i love that movie we need to do a total rewind on goodfellas what blows me away the most is when you watch scorsese's goodfellas and you watch scorsese's mean streets mean streets almost 15 years earlier in his career is almost his rough draft of Goodfellas. There are shots that are almost identical to Goodfellas and you can see his evolution as a filmmaker, as he, as he grows as a director and his craft improves. It's crazy. But I will say as a character study, uh, what's the character's name from taxi driver, Tyler Bickle, Uh, Travis, Uh, Travis Bickle. That's what it is. Yeah. Fascinating character. Uh, The way he portrays, like the streets at night and he uses music in certain ways. Obviously the plot takes some cool twists and turns. It, I, I thought it was awesome. I thought it was too. I love I'm, taxi driver. Yeah, no, I agreed with it. I, uh, it's probably not a date night movie, but you should check it out. Well, so Goodfellas look. is, Oh, Goodfellas is great. Anyway, now we're just going to geek out about movies. So I guess it's almost time to call it then. Yeah, that does it for our episode this week. So listeners, please give us your feedback on what you thought about this episode. And if there's any topics or comments that you want to leave, be sure to uh, find us on social media. You can go to filmmakerscompass.com where we have all of our social media links as well as a feed with all of our previous episodes. So like Eric Drucker has done, if you guys want to go back through the archive and listen to our old stuff, we would love that. And leave us comments on those episodes too. So Drucker, appreciate you. Uh, being the inspiration for that. Now, if you want to follow me, you can follow me at Big Kid D-Man and you can follow CP. 
You can follow me at NDCal5. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Seeing as it's almost the Academy Award night itself, I just want to remind you to let us know what you think is going to win. In the meantime, keep watching movies, give some special attention to some of the Academy Award nominated movies, and we'll see you back here next week to pick up where we left off.